Welcome to Black Men Speak. It's a podcast that highlights uh, ordinary Black men doing extraordinary things. I'm your host, Keith Dent, and it's great to be here. I know it's been a couple of weeks since I've seen all of you, but it's um, really great to be here. And it's even extra special because um, for anyone that knows me well, they know that teeth are kind of my thing. And I, I wouldn't say smiling is my moneymaker, but you know, <laughs> someone I have heard that before. So I do like the smile. It's just one of the things that, you know, you like. Everyone has a thing. Smiling and teeth are kind of a thing. So there you go. And so one of, at one time in my life, I wasn't allowed to smile. So a few, I, probably, I would say probably a couple of years ago or a year and a half or so, um, when I had to renew my license, you know, you just say, okay, for the picture and you just automatically, or at least I automatically smile. Uh, and it's like, oh, sorry, you, you can't smile. That's, you have to give a straight face. And I don't know if it's New, New Jersey thing, New York, but yeah, I guess they just want you to, they don't want to have an inflection in, in your face, just in case you guess you get pulled over and you, you know, of course you're gonna, you're not gonna smile when that happens. So you, you know, like, okay, this is the guy. Um, but you know, the thing is, is that you, you can only really wonder, think about as a black man um, or a person of color that, okay, they want you to have a profile picture. Um, and, and why is that, you know, or is everybody doing that? You know, you never know, cause you know, when you're at the, at the DMV, you're focused on your own photo. You're not really focused on somebody else's. And so that was, I felt a, a kind of a weird way about it, um, but you know, my guest today actually had an opposite um, reaction. You know, when he went to go take his DMV photo, he didn't automatically smile. And it took the, the photographer on the other end to say, hey, uh, I think you need to smile for your photo. And, you know, he had a certain way about, what do you mean I have to smile? Maybe I don't want to smile right now. I've probably been in line about two hours. And so I'm not, you know, this is the end. I'm tired and I'm probably hungry. Don't feel like smiling. And it took... And the photographer said, hey, you want to represent your best self uh, when you take this photo. And so it got him wondering, you know, are, and he thought, I'm sure he thought about it. And, and then it got him wondering, are um, black men hiding behind their expressions of joy? Um, and, and are they actually expressing pain and stereotypes, you know, because constantly being ridiculed. And so he took it a lot further and he decided to create a book out of basically black men smile and so his name is damon mosley he's the author of smile for we uh it's a photography but mainly a photography book of 32 men smiling he's there in essence revealing the joy of what's not normally seen in black men so damon mosley is from Columbus, or Columbus-based writer, producer, and photographer. Uh, he began his writing career while studying at Columbia University. And in 2008, he created a self-published book called I've Got to Have Those Shoes. And it was based on, it was inspired by a program or organization called Samaritan's Feet. So I'm gonna bring him in and we're gonna talk about that and among other things. Uh, Damon, hey, welcome to the show. Hey, Keith. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. 
Yeah, I mean, look, you have a great smile too. So I'm sure you were. <laughs> I shouldn't have been as perplexed, uh, you know, featuring featuring uh, the pearly whites in your uh, in your DMV photo. But yeah, I mean, kind of. And so, um, basically, were you just p- taking me back to that day? Were you perplexed by the fact that, and it was a black woman that asked you to smile yeah. in the photo? I was. Um... Like you said, no one, that's not the most joyful place being in the DMV. I mean, like usually it's the opposite of joy. So I was not in the mood to smile. It didn't really, it didn't cross my mind to smile for that particular picture. But when she said it, at first I was like, okay, like, you know, you're joking, you know, that you're not serious. But then she leaned in and she said, no, if you ever get pulled over, this is how you want them to see you. Mm. And, And she didn't elaborate but the implication to me was clear was that hey you know you guys are considered scary you guys meaning we black men you know you're scary you know you're threatening and you know how that can turn out for you on the side of the road so it would be in your best interest to portray yourself non-threatening non-scary and to let your humanity show to give you a shot in terms of it not turning into something you know a regular ticket turning into something violent or deadly and that's quite interesting so have you ever seen yourself as threatening or scary no i i haven't um you know and it and it's funny because black men in america nowadays i feel like we have three options we can either be you're either scary and you're a threat to people or you're some kind of you know unicorn like a barack obama super achiever or you're invisible you know if you're not mm-hmm. one of those two things you're you're nothing so I've never felt scary or threatening. You know, it it almost is, it's an insult, right? If someone even calls you safe. So to go on the other end of the spectrum, because it's like safe as, you know, as opposed to what? Like, what do you mean by that? So we kind of exist in like this weird nether region between not being allowed to be human and then also afraid to let our humanity show. So it's kind of a weird space to be in. And I just wanted to, to speak to that, and I wanted to almost soothe that 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 part of our pain that we have to bear. Okay, and so I know this that the the DMV photo kind of inspired you to write to do the book. How long did it actually take you to from that time to actually get out there and get started on and actually taking the photos and the thing for the book? Well. The DMV story, that took place years ago. It's just something that I've always kind of held on to every time I've had to get my license renewed. Um, that's just been a voice in my head. The book was initially was inspired by the police brutality problems that we've witnessed around the country in the past several years. Um, I just felt really, you feel helpless when you keep seeing these images, you know, rotating uh, in your mind every day, or, you know, I'm a news junkie, so I'm always watching current events. Mm. It seems like every day you see something similar of a black man being brutalized by the police. So that's kind of like what I was initially responding to. But then when I picked up my camera and began to take these pictures, the reluctance of black men to smile, I said, wait a minute now, there's something a lot bigger at play here. You know, you know, we're not on the side of the road. These aren't, these aren't any flashing lights behind us. This is people that I know you know, some of them for decades and they're uncomfortable in a private setting, just smiling for me on camera. Like this is is something way bigger. This project needs to serve. 
And then that's when, you know, it just became almost a mission to humanize our, our uh, to humanize black men. That's very intriguing. So I want to get into that. So when you were, because I know you were a photographer, but, you know, do that, but you're by trade, correct? Or, Not by trade. I'm, I'm more, I'm a hobbyist. I, I don't want, I don't oh, want to, okay. yeah, I don't want to disrespect the, the people who do this for a living and people who are super skilled. I'm more, my, my stock in trade is a writer. I consider photography to be kind of um, just an extension in my Swiss army skill set, but my, uh, my base skill and where I hang my hat is as a writer. And, uh, but honestly, people don't read a lot anymore. We become an increasingly visual society. Okay. So if you're not, you know, making people would rather press play than, than read <laughs> several pages. <Yeah. laughs> so, <laughs> so I just wanted to find something that I could reach out and touch people, you know, very viscerally and quickly, you know, I want this to be a very right. simple concept to digest. And, um, I'm glad I went this route. And I, I guess I meant to say there, there will be times where a lot of time people will see you, you'll have a camera in your hand. Not necessarily. Oh yeah. Yeah. I always, but, you, know. you know, you'll be walking around and they'll, they will see you actually taking photos. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's another form of expression, you know, um, whether it be most smartphones nowadays even have great cameras on them, but I like to tool around in camera shops and mess with some of the, uh, the equipment and accessories, you know, kind of geek out on that kind of stuff. But yeah, I'm always taking pictures, just even whether I publish them or not, it's just a fun, relaxing thing to do. Okay. So, Prior, so and the reason why I asked the question, so prior to you actually taking the pictures for the book, when you would ask black men to smile, they would be reluctant to smile. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Like no one ever wanted to smile. These are guys that I've known. You know, we laugh and joke all the time, but as soon as the camera comes out, they're like, "No, nah, no." Nah. It's almost like this persona slips over you, and you, and you know, in private moments when our guards are down, and we feel safe we can be our full selves, but it's almost like if something's going to be recorded or um, possibly shown to the world, we have to slip on this persona. Um, and that's kind of sad to me because that's what's expected of us, even though it's not necessarily based in reality. I, f I find that fascinating because I mean, I think if anyone knew, knew me and I know that's not about me, but people always know that I, that I smile for the camera. It's almost a running joke, you know, that, right. you know, you know, <laughs> um, that's the den in him or whatever. That's what, you know, my wife will usually say and um, or always being camera ready. And so the fact that so I've never really known that as being the frown. If I was frowning, this either something was wrong or and it was clear people would would know that. So the fact that collectively most men aren't smiling, what does what does that really say about us as men? Um it says that we've internalized these images that we see in mass media. You know, if you, whether it be the internet, print media, uh, TV shows and movies, you rarely see positive images of black men. You know, I don't want to call out any of the shows and movies by name, but any number of which that are on the air right now that are really popular, they're not really, they don't show us in, in a very positive light. We're either again, athletes, drug dealers, or criminals of some sort. Or rappers and um, nothing against athletes and rappers because I love sports and music, but it's a very limited lens through which to view us. I feel I think that we are capable of doing far more than those three things. And if you look around you, like you'll see evidence of that. Look in your phone. Like how many rappers do you know? How many drug dealers do you know? How many, you know, what I mean, how many athletes do you know? Most of us are 
worrying about gas prices and mortgages, just like everybody else in a cubicle next to us. So I just want to amplify our full humanity. Like that's really my mission. Right. And I know being from Columbus, that's primarily college town. So <laughs> you got it. Um, so would you say for black men, that's kind of the image that is, that is out there? Yeah. So you, that's, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I hope you have your, your guest room ready because I may get, I may, may sit me out of town. <laughs> listen. <laughs> no, Columbus is a college town, you know, Ohio state is down the street. Um, Ohio state football is a, is a religion here. And, um, you know, so that means that for generations, both black and white people, the most common image they see of black men is on Saturdays afternoons, you know, black men scoring touchdowns, you know, and that trickles over into society at large. You know what I mean? So when you're in the workforce, people will celebrate your physical abilities and almost really ignore any other aspect of your being. You know what I mean? Like you could, if you go to Ohio State and you play football there, and I mean on the scout team and you never saw the field in your whole time there, you would get more love and respect than if you uh, executed an IPO. And that's sad. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I know Ohio State is all about Ohio State. I mean, when I watched college college football, I was a Buckeye fan. So, so no, I it, it's a great program. And, and, yeah. and I have to say, as a disclaimer, you know, don't no disrespect to those 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 young men. You know, some of them have gone on to further their education through sports, and even uh, those who have gone pro, they can take care of their families for generations. I mean, so that's a good thing. It's just that that's not the majority of us, and I don't like that we get penciled into such a narrow definition of who we are. That's it. So, so you would say it was more more the invisible side because if you didn't play for Ohio State football it's almost as if you didn't exist yeah and 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 just just athletics that that carries over into just the focus on a black men's um like how we gain respect in the world like what can we do to gain respect in the world you know what i mean like that's it's almost like our achievements in any of our um abilities they just get ignored you know i'll give an example like say i used to work in corporate and i had a book on my desk it was an autobiography of a famous black person. And I had a white guy come up to me and this wasn't, he wasn't like a racist. It was someone I was cool with. And he was just more surprised than, than being malicious. But he said, well, what are you reading that for? And it's almost like he couldn't fathom that I would have a, an interest in myself in my culture and B that I would be engaging in an intellectual pursuit. You know, if I'm not going to go watch the game on Saturday or tailgating or eating some wings, it's almost like he couldn't find a space for me to exist in. Wow. So again, those things are very telling when you're in such a football centric town, there is, there is a real life, you yeah. know, consequence to that. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I see that is, um, it's very fascinating because I haven't really, I don't touch upon sports so much, uh, in the show and kind of like just for that, because that's what we're, not saying we're known for, but yes, sports and entertainment, those are easy, easy guests to find, but it's hard, harder, or, or, I, or I work to try to find guests that are actually doing something different, but also making a difference. Um, and that's the reason why you're here today. So uh, let's go back to the book. Sure. Um, and you talked about 
individuals that are having a chat, you know, us as black men having a challenge smiling. Was there, um, from all the individuals that were in the book, was there someone that just really had a difficult time smiling and you had to really convince them uh, that, or convince them to actually participate? Yeah, there was, so there's one guy that comes to mind uh, in particular. I mean, honestly, out of the 32 guys, only a handful and by handful, I mean like maybe five or six were just naturals, you know, just kind of, it was easy. It was okay. easy. Everyone else, the vast majority, it was like pulling teeth. Wow. Like seriously, it was, it was a chore. And I didn't anticipate that. So the one gentleman, he had a gap in his teeth. So okay, yeah, self-conscious yeah. about that, like super self-conscious. And I mean, he was physically shaking. That threw me. That threw me for a loop. I didn't, you know, I expected some pushback and I had to do some some coaxing. But this brother was shaking like I knew he was. And I was like, I didn't want him to be uncomfortable. I didn't want this to be something, you know, painful for him. So what I ended up doing was I got some TikTok videos and I just kept shooting until he laughed. Like, that's what I had. to. That's what it took to pull him out of that. Yeah. So his picture is I had I just had to just kept shooting until he till he laughed. You well, know? Yeah, and that was just and TikTok videos don't last long for <laughs> but for that moment. <laughs> exactly. So I'm that I'm moment. just shooting. My, I'm just like nonstop, just trying to catch whatever I can. And um, and usually again, laughter. Some people just even you know how we go through that awkward phase in our childhood. You can everyone has these school pictures. Where you don't really know how to smile, not on command. So when someone says say cheese, you always get like these. She's like second to fifth grade get these really weird expressions with children because they're being told to smile on command and they haven't quite mastered that yet. So laughter is really the most natural um, expression of joy because it's spontaneous and you can't, con- you can't contain it. Okay. So I, a lot of the guys, um, the other guys who wouldn't smile, I kind of bribed them. You know, I can admit to that. You know, I wasn't, I, I may have told some stories about ex-girlfriends, that that uh, <laughs> it's always a good source of uh, yeah right <laughs> a good source of humor. So yeah, I I just joke with them and try to get them out of their uh, come come out of their shell a little bit, and because um, I wanted these to be natural expressions, that's why I shot them on location and not in the studio. Okay. I wanted to them where they were, and I think it worked out pretty good. Yes, I think it did as well. Um, but one so one of the other things that I thought was quite interesting is that um, when I looked at the book. Immediately, I thought about the Humans of New York book, uh, where the guy took pictures, but he yep. had stories behind it. Um, but you didn't feature as many, you didn't feature all 32 individuals. Um, was that by design? And if so, why was that? It was. Um, there, well, there were, there were some practical reasons for that. And then there were some aesthetic reasons for that. Uh, aesthetically, I didn't want the viewer to get bored just with the repetitive format of image, caption, image, caption. So I wanted to break mm-hmm. it up and let the let the the images breathe a little bit. You know, I wanted people to thumb through at least a couple of pages at a time where there wasn't anything to read. They can just engage with the faces and the smiles on the pages. Um, but from a practical standpoint, right now there is a is a global paper shortage. So it's like gas prices, paper prices, they fluctuate on any given day. Mm. So for me to keep my page count down to where, you know, it would be practical for me, you know, as far as my cost and then whatever cost I would have to 
forward on to my customers, there was like a sweet spot of a page count. So if I would, if I were to add captions to every picture, even outside of the design challenges, it would have doubled my page count. And I think mm -hmm. that that would have been that would have pushed my margins a little higher than I think people would have um, been willing to to pay for. You know, as of right now, I had no one's complained about the price. Like it hasn't even come up. But I think if I had to bump it up five dollars or so, five ten, I think we I would have run into some problems. Okay, well, you know, as a fellow entrepreneur, hey, you wanna you wanna make money on the deal, and uh, <laughs> well, you just and you wanna you're trying to get this out to the world, and sure. So it was more important to me, honestly. And yes, you're right. I do want to make money. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. But I also wanted it to be in as many hands as possible. You know, this is like a portable coffee table book, right? So I right. wanted people to be able to have it with them. And it's just more important to me that people have it because it's that important to me that we start this new conversation of Black men being human. Okay. And and so I guess you've had those conversations, Black men being human. Um, yeah. And how, how have those conversations gone? You know, it's it's funny because you want to you I did this to to initiate those types of conversations. But then sometimes you find yourself getting frustrated that you have to have these conversations in 2022. You know, it's like, oh, goodness, like, you know, I give an example um, and I don't want to call this person out because I'm very happy that they reached out. But I had a neighbor that wanted to talk to me about their struggles to see black men in a positive light. I'm thinking to myself, well, you've lived next to me for almost eight years. Like, I shovel your sidewalk. You, mm. you know what kind of person I am. So I'm thinking, you know, wh where did this struggle come from? You know what I mean? Most times people don't see the humanity in people that they don't have any access to or any proximity mm -hmm. to. So, you know, I do enjoy those conversations. Um, a lot of things, that, you know, again, being in um, Columbus, a lot of people from Columbus have relocated from smaller towns in Ohio, like Canton, Lima, Dayton. You know, the big cities are finger quote, big cities are Columbus, Cincinnati, Cleveland, you know. But there's a lot of people in Columbus who've come from smaller towns and they have not had any exposure to black people until they were like 19, 20 years old. So that's a lot of, you know, that's almost two decades of just propaganda that you have to cut through. Uh, before you can reach any type of uh, understanding. So, but I'm happy to have those. Like I said, it gets a little frustrating at times, but you have to kind of, I think if you want to, you want people to see your humanity, you have to recognize theirs as well. And maybe even understand kind of like why they may have these blind spots. In essence, his struggle became, was because of lack of access to other other races or because clearly he's had an interaction with you, but that was right. where his struggle came from. Well, that's where I think that's where it started. Um, and what I was trying to get him to see was, like you said, there wasn't a lack of access because this person has had access to me. But for some reason, this is the part that really, you know, I wish I knew like where this came from. But for some reason, when black men do well, for some reason, we never the group doesn't get credit for that. Right. Like when now if it's a negative thing, we all, oh, we all you know, we get that. Right. Like if somebody robbed a bank or shot somebody, then, of course, we will all have to carry that stigma. But if a black guy helps an old lady cross the street or, you know, 
save the kitten from a tree, right? Whatever, any, any act of kindness. For some reason, that gets put over in the individual pile. Oh, right. But it doesn't Listen, necessarily- you're not, like, you're, like you're not one of them. Right, you almost get cherry picked. It's just a weird cognitive dissonance that takes place that's really frustrating because again, you know, I gave a talk, a virtual talk to a pretty large corporation and I told the workers, I said, okay, listen, look at the, you know, look at the black men in the cubicles next to you, in the elevator that you pass every day, in the break room, in the lobby. What's so, like you are around more of those than you are any character from The Wire. So I don't know why, you know what I mean? I mean, there's a large, I, I do know, you know, one of the reasons why, and that's because um, this is a larger conversation on race that I won't get too detailed into, but it kind of has some, it has some insight into like why we have this problem. But in black America, the street part of our culture has become the de facto authentic black experience. And that's because of these images, right? These TV shows, these movies, the, the, you know, the songs and people, you know, uh, people around the world falling in love with hip hop, but the street element of black America becomes the authentic one. So everyone's trying to like, they grab onto that as opposed to the everyday things that they see. It's like they skip right over it. You know what I mean? And, right. and, 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 and want to be, whether it be entertained or fascinated by curious, you know, who knows what word to use to best describe it. But it's almost like they want to step over that. Like the person that lives right next door that goes to the same school and churches that they do for somehow that's not black, but mm-hmm. the wire is black. Right. And, but it, because also the wire also substantiates the images that they'll see when the news come on. So exactly. You know, exactly. The news, it, how it's you know led is all, and it's just all negative, no matter what. Yes. Yeah. Also, it's funny. So it goes back to the images. Um, when there is a crime, or and when black men are seen, they are seen not smiling. So yeah. So it's like okay, they're angry. Not only they're committing crime, but they're also angry, just in general. So it's not like they're smiling as they are committing the crimes. So when they when it transfers into the um, Samaritan, good Samaritan things that we do, or just being neighborly, right? That's like, okay. That's not that's not normal. That's exactly. It's yeah. it, it, so, just like you said. I'm. I was always known for smiling. Like growing up, I've always smiled. Like it's never. It's just part of who I am. It's not even something I can't control or would even want to control. But and that runs so counter to what the narrative is about us, like you said, for all the negative images and the things that people see, it's almost like you get seen as, again, an individual, not a black man, but almost black plus tax. You know what I mean? Like you get, there's a little more that people put on your shoulders. I'm like, no, no, no. Like I'm, I am a regular black person, regular black man. There's min, there's millions of black men just like me who serve the community, who are not a threat to you in any way. And actually we're actually productive. Like black men are doing better now than ever before, but every measurable statistic. Right. So if any, if any, if there was a time for this, this image to change, it would be now. Right. You know, I don't know. So these talking points that people keep repeating that are untrue, like it's never been more untrue than now. So I think that we, as black men, what we need to do now is kind of 
be our own um, our own spokespeople and 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 be our own PR department. Right, right. We need to really celebrate each other and really lift each other up and just keep repeating and and just pounding those old narratives down. And so well, what's left is the new one. And it's funny that you said that. We also have to see ourselves as human. Yes. And we're that we're vulnerable and we have flaws because I do think we we don't help ourselves either uh, at times because we want to be the machismo guy yeah. or we also want to um, degradate our black women too. So then that doesn't, it doesn't, ha- we don't help ourselves. And we have to start to, I think also have to look in the mirror and say, look, um, be joyful and happy just for who you are. I mean, the, you, we all make mistakes. We're not perfect. Um, we're not expected to be perfect. Um, if you believe in Jesus and God, that you know, that's where the perfection comes or your higher power. Right. It's not about, um, we can, whatever position that we're in, enjoy, enjoy that and, and just strive to be the best person that you can be. And I think, I think that would change if we could do that. And I think we, we collectively struggle with that. We, we definitely do. And I think the reason why we struggle so much is because, you know, I'm, I'm not in the struggle Olympics, but there has been an ongoing campaign to associate black men with negativity and violence. Like there's a through line. You can trace it back. We can go from the original 1914 uh, film, A Birth of a Nation. We can go on up to 88, the Willie Horton ad campaign, uh, political commercials during the Bush campaign, up through the George Floyd. Like we can trace this all the way down. So when we have these conversations, I really think it's important that we have, that we do so within a historical context in that people don't have these images of us by mistake, right? Like even the cops shows, the reality shows, like these things are out there. So it's very easy if that's all you see, it's very easy to internalize that because where would you get the counter view? You know, if you don't have positive black men in your life, whether it be your fathers, your uncles, coaches, mentors, what have you, if you don't, if every time you turn on your TV or your smartphone or your radio, if all you keep seeing and hearing is that this is what's expected of us, it's just very hard not to get drawn in by that. It's, it's very hard. So that's why, you know, I'm really trying to combat the imagery, I think, leads to the performance. Well, I guess we just have to, you have to just make this a viral campaign and send it out to everybody. I would love and, that. You know, and, and, and start to change some of those images. But we, and we talked about this and I think it's great. And you are a very positive guy, I can tell by your energy. But did you actually have a point where, just in your own life, where you felt like the images that are being portrayed? That's a great question, Keith. Um, you know, I could give you the easy, I could, I could dodge that one and say, no, of course not, me, no. But yeah, I actually, I, I can say that I did. Um, it was after college. I grew up in the inner city, so... Um, I knew all too well, you know, some of the some of the things that that people expect of black men and think of black men. Yeah, I did see that. I saw a lot of it, you know, both in my family and in just my neighborhood. I got a scholarship to a boarding school in Virginia, 
And then from there, I got a scholarship to an Ivy League college, Columbia University in New York. Now, when I came home from uh, college, coming back to this community, um, things were different in terms of what was celebrated. You know, in academia and corporate America, achievement is the currency. Like that's what you get attention for. Um, in the neighborhood, what you get attention for is money and swag. Swag mm. being defined by how close you can be to street culture without actually going to jail or getting killed. So when you come back from, you know, the I won't say the height of academia, but just when you come from a place where what you know and how well you've applied that, that's kind of what you were judged by. And when you come back to the neighborhood and people look at you as if that's nothing, like that has no, that holds no value or little value in comparison to some street stuff. I think in my early to mid twenties, I was a little confused. Um, it's kind of a culture shock, even though I'm from here, I spent time trying to get away, you know, from the inner city stuff. And when I came back, I was a little confused as to, well, wait a minute, you know, no one really cares about anything I've achieved. I don't care about my test scores. I don't care about my report card. Like they don't care about that. And I think being young and um, you know, still trying to find my way, I think that those were some times, I think the nineties, I was very confused as to, you know, which way I wanted to go. Um, not that I wanted to do anything illegal, but you just, you're, you're wrestling with these two different personas, like which, which, which size fits you best. And through my writing career, I kind of found my footing and just have never looked back since then. Yeah, that must have been tough, especially because you were striving to be the best. And so based on that, you weren't you weren't able to showcase that or highlight that. So that must have been very tough. It was. It was. Um, you almost have to kind of, you know, to use the um, to use some slang. It's like you have to tuck your chain. You know, it's like what, what, had, what you had been used to shining at before. You got to just you got to tuck that. That's not going that doesn't play back home. And you're like, man, I spent eight years cultivating, you know, like working hard, um, you know, doing things that I'm proud of, developing experiences and, and skills that, you know, I look forward to showcasing. But again, you come back home. No one cares. Well, so did it take you some time to actually get out of that or realize that I do have something to accomplish um, yeah. or I do have something to bring to the world, to the table? I have accomplished a lot. And um, if so, how, how long did it take you or did it take someone to get you out of that? How did how did you overcome it? OK, so this is this is a um, this is this would be a kind of a nice segue, a natural segue. So, yes, it took me a while. I would say the better part of a decade. Um, if I'm being honest, for me to really uh, kind of like shirk that off. But what really kind of drove it home, a very good friend of mine uh, who is a uh, blue collar guy, you know, not someone, wasn't one much for school and things like that, but it's been like, you know, that's my, uh, my foxhole buddy. You know what I mean? Like you're ride mm -hmm. or die. It's my OG. He actually... <laughs> I, you could call it kidnapped 
he 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 pretended he's a plumber by trade. So he wanted me. He told me he wanted to take me on, a, on an assignment out of town. I said, no problem. I got you. So we get to the location and he locks the doors and he proceeds to basically curse me out for an hour and some change telling me to get my stuff together. And I was so grateful and I was mad at the time, you know, and he did that. This is before, you know, cell phones, before Ubers, like I was stuck. I had, I had to take it. That's why he took me out of town. He's like, you know, <laughs> know you're so angry. You would have just, if I told you this at home, you just would have stormed out, but now you can walk home, you know, an hour and a half if you want to, but you're going to have to hear this. So he's been one of my lifelong friends. And recently I was able to present him with his own custom action figure because I told him, you know what? You're one of my heroes. And he remains so to this day. Okay, great. So I am going to show the video because I, okay. I I thought it was great. So let me uh, pull it up. What the... And, and I know you posted it on your LinkedIn page and, yeah. and it came up and I was like, wow, that is such a great idea. So, and I know you called him your hero and what made you decide to, to go to that length to create that action figure for him? Well, during the pandemic, you know, when it first hit and we had to all kind of socially distance and, you know, we really couldn't reach out and touch each other anymore like we used to. I had an idea to um, make custom action figures for, you know, my close friends. You know, I couldn't couldn't see them as much as often, uh, but I wanted them to know that I still value them and still miss them. So initially it was for guys that uh, played basketball. Um, you know, I played basketball in high school and a little bit in college. And, you know, because sports figures are easy to find and modify. But then I was, you know, like I talked about with my smile for you, which I didn't mission. I didn't want to just limit, you know, my um, these gifts to people who played sports. I think we as black men are so much more, you know, this friend uh, being one of them. So I just kept looking for uh, a plumber figure and I was able to find someone, a design studio that could modify it, you know, add the dreads, the glasses, the beard, things like that. And uh, it took about 18 months, but I was able to give it to him. Uh, I'll say a few weeks ago and his reaction, it, it made all that weight. It made it worthwhile. Yeah. And I thought it was great because, um, and I know he didn't really say a lot afterwards, but <laughs> what was his, what was his feedback to you when he actually received the doll, the doll? Oh, he was, I was instructed to turn the camera off so he could let those tears out. That's mm -hmm. why it's a short video. <laughs> okay, okay. He was, he was moved. I mean, he was, because again, you know, not not to 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 keep pounding this point home, but regular black men just aren't celebrated. Like we're not even really seen in society. So, just for someone of that profession, you know, of that walk of life, he was very touched that someone even saw him in that way. Because again, brothers who work blue collar jobs and people who aren't necessarily the flashiest, we just don't get a lot of shine. A lot of attention in general in the community and by the community so he was just very happy you know and i tell him all the time like you're my hero now again i, I have professional athlete friends 
have friends who work on Wall Street, have six figure friends. But like I said in that story just a little while ago, that was the person during my slide. He was the one who made sure I was all right. He was the one who cared enough to drag me out of town and tell me about myself so that I could turn things around and get back. You know, that's someone that's a hero in my book, right. you know, not necessarily right. someone like where you live or what you drive, but that's a hero. Your character makes you a hero to me. And, you know, um, I was just right. very it's, happy to do that. Especially since um, as a guy, he spends most of the time under the sink or, you know, yep. doing the dirty work. He doesn't necessarily in his profession get to see people. Exactly. You know, you'll see his initial on uh, introduce himself, you know, what he does. And then they'll say, and then his next, okay, where's the, where's the problem? And right. then for the most part, you don't, you won't even see him or really interact with him until he's done. And then he gets the invoice and then he's on his way. But he, the fact that he was able to, in, in what you said earlier, be human and be also seen as human because you had to receive, be able to receive what he was telling you as well. Exactly. You know, and I've known him since I was 11 years old and he was 13. So it's like I knew it came from a trusted source. You know what I mean? He's someone who's been around that long. He had earned enough equity in my book to, to shoot me straight, so to speak. You know what I mean? And um, like you said, normally his daily job when he goes to perform a service, you know, after they describe what they need done, he's expected to just, you know, just get right to it. You know what I mean? It's always about your utility. It's black men. That's one thing that really, really um, that I see a lot is that we basically get our value is attached to our utility. What can you do? Can you provide? Can you protect? I'm not saying that we shouldn't do those things, but that's the only thing we get measured by. Right. Not how's your day? You all right, bro? You know, like seriously, like and so I've cultivated since the pandemic. I've made sure that since now that we're coming out of it, that I call my brothers every day, see how they're doing. You know, hey, you know, do you want to go for a walk? You know what I mean? Like just right. do things that you wouldn't even just conversations. Right. And there's a whole right. part of our lives that uh, as black men that no one even sees. Right. Even though it may be taking place right in front of your eyes, like no one even sees it. You know what I mean? Like I had a brother mm -hmm. call me the other day. He's like, hey, man, you free? Let's go for a walk in the park. So we went for the walk and he was just talking about the difficulties of potty training his daughter. Mm. Now, if you saw two black men walking in the park, you know, with hoodies on, that's probably the last thing that would cross your mind that we'd be talking about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's, right. but that's what happens every that's day. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. out here. We just have these things in our minds, you know, that, that, that we don't, we, you know, what's important to us and, and, and who we are, uh, it's just not recognized often enough, in my opinion. Right. And thank you. And thank you for that. Uh, what has been the so what has been the actual overall acceptance of the book? Very much. Um, very well. It's been it's been very well received. Um, I was hoping that it would be. And I can honestly say that it has exceeded my expectations. You know, there's been offers for speaking engagements, um, gallery showings of the photos inside the book, community discussions and moderated discussions. It's just, it's, it's grown so much so fast. It hasn't really been, it's been a little over, over two months that this was published and it's gained a lot of traction. I wanted to continue to grow. Uh, one unexpected lane that opened up for me was I've been contacted by people in the diversity and inclusion space to possibly 
have the book as a tool for unconscious bias training. Wow. In workplace, which and that would be great. Like that, I didn't, I didn't think of that mm-hmm. when I published it, but that would be a great space to get into. So I've had some talks around that and what that looks like and where the need is. But it's just been, it's been a great positive thing. And I've had this has been the most meaningful project that I've worked on. Great, great. And I guess that you did say what's what's next. So is that what's next, or there's some other things that that you are working on? Well, for me. I wanted this, the, the whole mission to humanize black men. You know, one of my, my bigger goals is to, um, I've been developing both a feature film and then also a TV series, but it heavily, both of those projects are heavily geared towards um, humanizing black men as well. But then I realized I almost had to kind of preheat the oven almost because audiences are not used to seeing this kind of content then they're not going to respond to those larger projects. So Smile for We is kind of like, I don't want to say a canary in the coal mine, but it's very much like, okay, let me get you leaning in this direction. Then hopefully, once I've got you accepting the fact that Black men can be human and in fact are human and have always been human, now you can get some more content coming down the pike that you can respond to favorably as well. Okay, yeah, nice. the nice little appetizer that can can turn into the main course, you know? Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. Because yes, um, yeah, I don't know if you can see the book, if you have a copy. I mean, I have my copy right here, but it's kind of hard to see. But if you can, if you have I gotta one. I got to send you a shirt too, Keith. I got to send oh. you a shirt. Oh, okay. Yeah, that would be okay. awesome. You got uh, that coming this week. I look forward to that. And um, can you, do you have a copy of the book there that you could show? Put um, on or? I, I do. It's not, let me see. It may be hard to see, but, and I'll, I'll post it in. I'll post it on the page too, but I didn't know if you had one there. Um, if I can step away and grab it if you want me to, it's like just out of reach of the camera. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Step away because I'd okay. like people see, like people to see it. Here we go. Okay, yeah, that's great. Um, and I love the picture um, when I opened it because I think it's like you said, it's so much. There's so much joy just captured in that photo. It's a young man. He's and clearly, um, I mean, what's also cool is that. What you didn't use, it's kind of like a, a pink background. It's not yeah. a blue background um, or colors that are more, I would say, just it's a different color. And I'm sure you that was by design. Yes. Uh, yes because pink is a calming color. And so, um, yeah, I thought, I, thought, it was, I thought it was great. Yep. It, it's a soothing color. Um, it pops. It stands out against the brown of his skin. It was just a lot of aesthetic reasons. It's kind of a almost like a fashion or design you know what i mean you want to i want to really accentuate the subject matter so mm-hmm. like you said it being a calming color and it also you know when it is on the shelves it it stands out you know that, that color mm-hmm. really jumps out at you and it makes you look at it so right. although even the size of the book you know i wanted to, to to fit into your hand and and be portable so all those decisions were kind of made with the uh the viewer in mind so i know i didn't ask you this and it would be hard to and you probably don't want to answer but uh, if you did, did you actually have a favorite photo from the book? <laughs> um, but I, I, when yes, I, I do, again, I do. Oh, you do, you do have one. I okay. do. I, you know what? It's so funny that you mentioned it. I do have one, and it was funny because it was one of the guys that I don't know, and okay. it happened during my first shoot. So my first shoot was a good friend of mine. Uh, it's like my little brother. We were downtown Columbus in an alley. 
you know, against a brick wall, trying some different things out. And an unsheltered brother walked up to me. I was like, what are you doing? Now, again, the, being the location, given the fact that we already talked about how we internalize some of these negative stereotypes, mm-hmm. I expected the worst. You know, I'm sure he had some assumptions about me. I asked some assumptions about him. So it's like in a, in a, in a 30 second, you know, window, everything flipped because I explained to him what the project was and what we were doing. He told me he was proud of me and he couldn't wait to see it. And I said, Hey, you know what? That's it. Sit down right here. You have to be a part of this. Like, just, I'll shoot you right now. Okay. And that is by far my favorite, my favorite picture in the book. Um, because of the, the organic way in which it happened and because of the exchange of humanity that he and I shared in that moment. Oh, great. Here I yeah, was. The one, the one I liked, yeah. The one I liked was the guy that actually had a chipped tooth. Yeah. Um, because yeah, that, yeah, that's him. R- uh, Roberto. Yep. Oh, that was him. Okay. Yeah. That's him. that's him. Yeah. And because he had, I mean, because he had a, a flaw, he didn't have perfect teeth. Usually by automatic, they're, you know, you're not going to get them to smile because, oh, you know, then it's, it reveals something about the person before you even get to know them. Right. That's where by, oh, okay. Um, to me, he was perfectly imperfect. Yeah. It was great. Like that was that, that if I ever had any doubts, and I think every artist, you know, when you're embarking on a new project, you have, you know, you wonder, is anyone going to care? Is this thing going to take off? Like, why, you know, why am I doing this? If I had any doubts, they disappeared the moment I met that brother. Mm. And it was like, he was just like, it was perfect. And that was my, you know, that was by far my favorite, my favorite picture and my favorite shoot. Because, And, and what did he think when you gave him? I'm sure you gave him one or he saw well, it. Again, you know, the brother lived in a shelter and I, I've been trying to find him. Oh, you haven't found him. I have not found him. You know, um, he um, I took him to after the shoot, I took him to an ATM, got some money out for him. Said, hey, man, you know, dinner's on me. You know what I mean? And the shelter is not too far away from where I live. So I've been driving around there ever since. Now, again, the good news is maybe he's relocated. Maybe he's found some, you know, uh, some stability that he didn't have at that time. You know, that's where my mind would like to go. Uh, that he, You know, since he's no longer at that shelter, it doesn't appear to be at that shelter. Mm. Maybe it's turned around for him. But I've, I've tried to find him. I've tried to find him ever since and wasn't, haven't been able to. Wow, that's amazing. But I won't forget him, though. Right. Right. I mean, with that, I would end on that. But I always like to end because you you talked about um, some of the things that you do is that you reach out to people and you ask them how they're doing. So I always like to end the show with, one, how are you doing? How do you feel right now uh, as a Black man? I feel better than I did when I started the project. Um because in a selfish sense, this was therapy for me. You know, I was starting to feel between the police brutality uh, images that we see. I mean, these videos, they still keep coming. I mean, if you watch the news or read the news, they happen literally every week. You know, some, some get more media exposure than others. Some go viral, some don't, but this thing is happening so much. So I was, I was kind of sliding into uh, a dark place for a little bit, uh, but this, you know, connecting with my friends and people like yourself, you know, I want to give you some flowers for you having me on this show, 
and um, allowing me to express my humanity, right? Like I'm trying to capture other people's humanity, but people like yourself, you're giving me platforms to express my humanity as a creator. So, you know, that makes me feel very good. And I can honestly say that I'm doing better. Well, that's great. I'm glad that you are feeling better because it takes a lot of courage um, to also just approach folks. Um, and, and even with a creative project such as that, uh, I know you probably knew some of the people, but even the ones you didn't know, and you're like, hey, uh, I want you to smile. They're like, oh, who are you? <laughs> you know? Right, right. Um, and the fact that you were, you're trying to change your, the paradigm of who we are as men and how we're viewed as men. So I really appreciate, you know, one coming on today. If you haven't heard about this book, pick up the smile for we. Uh, and I think, uh, what's the name of the website so people can go and, you know, check it out, you know, get some, get a t-shirt, but yeah. it, it just support um, the change that's trying to be made. So what's it's that website? Smileforwe.com. Smileforwe.com. Great. Yes, sir. Well, um, well, Damon, just thank you. And, uh, you know, be sure to, that was a great, great show because one thing I want you to take from this is that one, it takes action to to present something to the world that you want. They may not necessarily get accolades right away, but it can create a, a movement. And I'm gonna challenge, not, not just black men and black men specifically, but just people in general to smile or present yourself in the best way possible, despite all the challenges that you may be going through and all the difficulties or how people may not view you the way you want to be viewed. But I think if you can smile or you can present the energy that you want to give back, you will receive that in turn. And Speak was written, produced, and edited by me, Keith Den. You can check out previous episodes wherever you get your favorite podcasts. As you know, we always like to end the show with a famous quote. And this one comes from a guy that had one of the best smiles in the NBA, Magic Johnson. In his quote, goes as follows. I'm at peace with myself. The main thing is not letting people dictate what I do or what I am. This is Keith Dent from the Black Men Speak podcast. 